John chapter 9, look at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did this sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither have this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God shall be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh where no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now in John chapter 9, we see a tremendous account of Christ demonstrating his power in the life of a man that was born blind. And in verse 32, if you pay attention there, the man that was born blind could testify of the fact that this miracle had never been heard ever before. Uh, notice what he says, He's, verse 32, Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? And the Lord will use this man to illustrate a greater work than just able to see physically. Uh, it was a work of salvation that this man will see in a very spiritual way. And this miracle will not only authenticate the ministry of Christ or his work, but it also would you know, confirm his message and the purpose of his coming. And so we see here the work of Christ is to help open the eyes of those that are blind, listen, spiritually. It's the whole purpose of using this man as an illustration, uh, a live illustration, a wonderful illustration. And so I've entitled this sermon that blind men see. And this account is only found in the Gospel of John. And we see that there are several people, uh, you know, groups of people surrounding this account. The blind man, of course, his parents, the Pharisees, there were onlookers, and of course, Christ himself. Now, there are some things that we can glean from this passage, a lot of details, and, uh, but I want to focus on a few things. We see the compassion of Christ in the beginning. And we're going to see, perhaps later on, the confrontation of the Pharisees, but also the confidence of this blind man. Now, in verse 1, pay attention there. Have a look at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. And so we see... As Jesus passed by, he sees a man that was blind by birth. And this is a wonderful component or wonderful quality, you can say, characteristic of our Lord Jesus Christ. He passes by and he sees a blind man from birth. You know, Jesus always saw people and their need, always. God always sees us. And Jesus is the manifestation of God. And so we know and understand by this account that God even cares for the blind. God even cares for beggars because we know and understand if you were blind, you had no work, no livelihood. So there would be normally seeing people begging next to the temple before they'd go in the temple. And when Jesus saw this blind man just sitting there, he saw him. He paid attention to him. So many people around. So many people gathered around would have been, you know, where he was located. But he pays attention to this man. Similar spirit, if you will, as the disciples went to pray in the temple when you see in the book of Acts. That as they went to pray, one of the disciples of Peter fastened his eyes on a man that was paralyzed. And you know the account. He healed him and he was leaping and jumping for joy. But he fastened his eyes. These men went to pray. And sometimes we see in the account, and you understand the account, the parable of the uh, you know, good Samaritan. 
that we can be wrapped up in, in our religion and wrapped up, if you would, in theology and wrapped up in our business and wrapped up in our you know, day-to-day uh, activity in what God wants us to do and forget about the heart of why we do what we do. We get too busy. We miss the heart of Christianity. I think we should be sensitive to the, these very things that God would have us to do today uh, in his work. And this is a perfect account of what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, of compassion uh, and uh, seeking people and seeing people, not just as a number, but as a soul, as a soul. And he saw this man, and I'm not undermining, by the way, organized prayer times and organized times where we do certain things, they're wonderful things. But as we go, we cannot miss, we cannot miss people along the way because ministry is about people. Amen? It's about people. And so we see at the end of John chapter 8, Jesus declares his deity to the Pharisees. So much so that the Pharisees were so upset that they wanted to pick up stones and stone him and kill him. Why? Well, yeah, we have Abraham as our father. Well, that's good. But I want to let you know something. Before Abraham, I was. Here you're parading Abraham, 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 and the greater than Abraham is here. And they missed it. And they wanted to pick up stones to stone him. And we see, right after this account, he goes and ministers to people. I don't know about you, but if people were after you want to stone you, probably be head down, discouraged. Oh my, but not Christ. He kept on doing the will of the Father despite the opposition. Now to me, I see that example and I say, wow, that, I want to walk in that step. I want to follow the Lord in this area. Uh, it's not all about me and me and how I'm offended and how I'm hurt. There's a greater work than just me. And so I see this and I, I understand the fact that Jesus came to minister and give his life a, a ransom for many. And we'll see that in a moment. And now in verse 2, his disciples ask a sincere question. Uh, he says, they ask, Master, who did this sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now I say sincere because it was a sincere question. Jesus was looking to see uh, the work of God made manifest in his life and his disciples really didn't know that at that point but they wanted to perhaps know that who did this sin? Why was he born like this? Was it his sin or his parents? And the response Jesus gives will indicate that they simply were not judging, but just wanted to know. And so there are some sincere questions that we may ask. And the common belief was that sickness was a result of sin. And in some cases, that's true. 1 Corinthians 11, we see it very clearly that the church in Corinth were sick because they were undermining the Lord's Supper. They were eating the Lord's Supper, observing the Lord's Supper unworthily. But also in John chapter 5, we see an impotent man being healed. Jesus meets him in the temple, around about the temple, and he finds him and he says, have you been made whole? He says, yes. He goes, all right, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing be happened to you. So we understand that direct you know, response in some cases to sin is, is suffering. It's true. It's there. Whatsoever man soweth that, he shall also reap. And another thing that we need to consider is that Jesus, by his response, did not undermine the fact that the parents nor this man had any sin. Of course they sinned. Of course they were born in sin. But the truth of the matter is that this particular blindness wasn't a result of sin. And he's making that very clear. Not all disabilities are a result of sin. We need to be very careful when we see someone sick that we don't judge them unrighteously. We don't know what God is doing in a person's life. 
Hence Job. We see a great account regarding Job. Poor the apostle with the thorn of the flesh. And just a side note, let me just say this to you. Not someone that's, you know, you can see someone prospering and say, wow. And they can automatically think that God is on this person because his life is going so well. But that's not necessarily the case. Psalm 73, we see Asaph, uh, you know, just really marvel at the fact of the prosperity of the wicked. And by the way, the pros true prosperity is not always tangible. We don't measure prosperity by, you know, things that we have or consume. Jesus deals with that with some parables. You know, beautiful. And I'm not saying that, you know, we can't be prosperous in material things. I'm not saying that at all. But true prosperity is when God blesses and it comes from the hand of God and you know it. And true prosperity can also mean that you have an enriched marriage. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth, in the way, uh, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And the result of that is to, in all his ways, he's prosperous. But it doesn't mean he, God's going to bless him in tangible things. It could be God will bless that person spiritually. His affairs, his relationships, and his character, I, I believe these are the wonderful treasures, the fruit of the Spirit is found, of how, what God wants us to be like, not necessarily possess, amen? Have, consume. And I'm not saying these things are bad, but we normally equate prosperity with having things. So how the world looks at things. So verse 3, we see a sober response to their question. Jesus answered, he says, Neither have this man sinned, nor his parents, but look at this, look at this, but that the works of God shall be made what? Manifest in him. That the work of God will be made manifest in him. Now, we're going to have to stop here and just evaluate this statement. Are you saying that Jesus said that God planned this to happen? I mean, in other words, decreed purpose in his sovereignty that this man will be born blind for the purpose of God working a work in his life? Well, that's what it says. It wasn't an accident that this man was born blind. You know what this tells me? This tells me what, you know, God said to Jeremiah that before I knew thee in the belly, he says, sorry, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before I, you say, what's, what's going on? God looks at people as fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, how's that fearfully and wonderfully made? He's born blind. He doesn't know any better. And what he has and what he will later see later on and what he will see, blind men see, this is the whole purpose of this side, blind men see, is something more precious than what a man that can see cannot see. I don't know about you, but I rather... If knowing this account, I'd rather be blind and have the treasures of Christ than actually be able to see and have the earthly treasures here. This is what Christ is trying to convey or teach his disciples and those that are around him. And you'll notice with this man and this account, he did not buck not one time, nor did he question at any time, especially during his healing. What you see in this man is submitting himself under the authority of God and taking whatever God gives him. And to me, that's just amazing. Some onlookers might say, well, that's not really fair. Why does God give 
two eyes to these people that would not receive him and he knows he would not receive him and this man will receive him one day and he causes him to be blind all his life. I mean, what's taking place? Well, that's human reasoning. Because we're not seeing what God is able to do in the life of a person. God is working in life of people, whether it's Jeremiah the prophet or whether it's a blind man. God is doing something special. It's not the title. It's the work of God in a person's heart. You know how many no-name people are in the Bible that God is doing a great work in their life? One of them was a widow that gave two mites. I don't know her name. But God lifts her up and says, hey, look at, look at this widow. Compared to those Pharisees that had titles and positions and status quo amongst the community. Sometimes you see that God works in an unusual way that causes the heathen to question that God is not fair or God is unloving. But as you see, the, I believe personally the biggest favor that this man had was to be blind and meet a savior. Yeah. It's a blessing, as you say, in disguise. And so in verses, uh, by the way, you know Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And we know that to be true, all things, including bad things, God can work for good. And this is what we would normally uh, you know, view in the eyes of humans. This is a bad thing. This man is born blind. But all God will use it together for good to them that love God. And we see in this case that he did. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus declares his work. He conveys his purpose for his coming. Have a look in verses 4 and 5. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh where no man can work. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the what? The world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, in this verse, we find a twofold purpose. We first see that he came to work. I must work the work of him that sent me. But we also see that he came to witness. He is the light of the world. He came to serve, and listen, he came to shine. Twofold purpose. And Mark says that the Son of Man didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and give his life. Give his life a ransom for many. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to work the will of the Father and give his life a ransom for many. And so he says, while it is day. So what does he mean by this? While it is day. Well, while there's time. Not necessarily while there's daylight, but rather while there's still time. And, he, and, and it's very clear that there is an urgency here that Jesus conveys. Although he had a Three and a half year public ministry. He still conveyed an urgency that he had to fulfill whatever God planned in the time that he allocated. There was a time frame that God would simply put in place that he knew that he would fulfill. And he says, I need to work the work of him that sent me while it is day, while there is time. And we know God is outside of time, but there's an urgency. And this shows us the sovereign God's plan of a of a saviour that was slain before the foundation of the world. And he says here, the night cometh when no man could work. 
Now, Jesus is not saying that we cannot work at night. Jesus himself spent time with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very religious man, came to see Jesus by night. But what is it saying? It's simply saying that there will come a time where we won't be able to work. It will be taken away from us. The ability to work, listen, and the time to work will be taken away. There's coming a time where no man could work. And so what he's trying to convey and remind us is this, that we only have a short amount of time to do the will of God and don't squander that time, don't waste that time because you won't get that time again. We, look, listen, I've said it before, we've only one, got one candle to burn. We've got one life to live. And we must live out the will of God while there is time. I don't know about you, but people are going about doing their own business they're not after the Father's business. They're doing their own thing. They're wasting time. The Bible talks about, the psalmist says very specifically, uh, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. Teach us to number our days. What is, what's the psalmist trying to say? We don't have long left. Every day that we have, we've got to make sure we're redeeming the time. Well, this is what Paul says to the Ephesians. If you want to hold your place there, go to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, have a look at verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee what? Light. We just saw that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to his disciples, Ye are the light of the world. Ye are light. And so Jesus intended that we, after especially his departure, that we would shine that God will equip us to do that very thing to shine. He's given the Holy Spirit of God. He's given us the gospel to go forth and shine as Christians. Ye are light. He's not saying you become light. You are light, Christians. You follow the footsteps of Jesus. As Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But then he says that we are light. Awake. And Jesus will give us light. He'll direct our paths and guide us in his will. We'll continue to read. Have a look. And verse 15. See then, walk what? What's that word? Walk circumspectly. Carefully. Cautiously. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. How do you redeem the time? How do you buy back time? You make every day count. You live every day to the glory of God. You live every day by the guidance of the lamp, if you will, and the light of God's word. And the Spirit of God leading and guiding into the will of God, redeeming the time for the days of what? Evil. Even back then, 2,000 years ago, we see or living in evil days, and we're actually living in days that are so evil that is absolutely enticing us to run after the system of the world and the culture of the world, and listen, wasting our time. You know what's the greatest time waster, if you're not careful? This. If you're not careful, this can lead you all over the place for hours, wasting time. Waste, and you can bear with me, look at, you can bear witness with me, right? Now, some of you have wasted time of it on this, like I have. And I don't know about you, but I tell you something, I feel sick. Like my stomach turns and says, right at the end of that, that was a waste of time. <laughs> that was a waste of time. We must redeem the time. Make every day count, every hour count, and, and make sure that what we're doing, we're doing it for the... Look, listen, there's a time coming... Where no man could work. Now I think about how many, how many people go up to heaven and realize, man, I didn't know I was going to be like this. 
I'll stand perhaps before the judgment seat of Christ and say, oh Lord, give me one more chance. That's all over now. The end has come. It's judgment time. There's no reruns. We get one shot at it, folks. We got one chance. And Jesus was the perfect example who finished his course. He gathered the disciples together and he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. He said, I finished the work that you gave us me to do when he taught his disciples and trained them and lived his Christian life before them. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. John the Baptist, we see the Bible say in the book of Acts that he finished his course. How did he finish? I mean, how did he cross that line, if you will? By being an offering. A sweet-smelling savour to God had his head chopped off. For what reason? Do you remember why they wanted his head on the charger? Confronting sin. Living as a light in this world that exposes darkness. And we see the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 saying very clearly that I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Jesus is simply saying that we must uh, work while it's day. Sorry. He said, I must work while it is day. But in the second part of that verse, he says, what does he say in the second part of that verse? Actually, let's finish. Let's finish Ephesians. I, I want to I bring out another verse and then we'll come back and see. Let's finish Ephesians. He says this, redeeming the time for the days are what? Evil. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Verse 17, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, don't be drunk with wine, we're with excess, don't be controlled by substance, but rather be filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, be controlled, influenced, governed, led by the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Not these, uh, you know... Uh, lustful things uh, that we see in the world that war against our soul don't be unwise but know what the will of the Lord is and live it and do it and so let me stop and say this to you do you know what God's will is for you that's the first thing that we need to determine Lord what would you have me to do and there are many things in the Bible that God has given as an instruction to Christians that God wants to lead you in and guide you in. And as you fulfill those things, the unseen will of God, or who to marry, where to minister, uh, where to work, so forth, will just naturally come to play. Why? Because you're spending time in the Word. You're sensitive to the Spirit of God. You're uh, seeking God by prayer. All these wonderful things that God uses in our life to draw us to Him. And you'll come to find out that the unseen will of God will be, you know, just coming in the, it will just happen. It will just plan out. You'll find yourself, wow, look, I'm in the will of God because I'm keeping to the word of God. This is our guide. This, is, this book teaches us how to walk with God. It teaches us the heart of God, the will of God. And once we do those things and give our heart to them, God will begin to lead us and guide us. The will of God will just unfold and we see ourselves doing the very things that please God. For no man can please God without faith. We walk by faith, for there is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall walk by faith. When you walk by faith, 
by obeying this book and the Spirit of God leading you and there's still small voice and you don't quench the Spirit, nor do you grieve the Spirit, you find yourself walking in the will of God, walking in the will of God. And before a long time, you look back and you say, wow, look what God is doing. It's either that or you're doing your own thing. True? You're either governed by the Word, governed by the Spirit of God, or you're governed by whatever you want to do. Now let's go back to John chapter 9. We'll see something here in verse 5. It's like what Jim Burke says. There's only two options on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And that's true. You can live this life pleasing God or you can live this life pleasing self. Isn't that true? Really, that's what it boils down to, right? You live this life living for self or you live this life living to the glory of God. Look at verse 5. He says this, I must work, I must. He talks in the singular here. Uh, sorry, verse 4. I must work the works of him. I must, works the work, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh, look at this now, where no man can work. In the plural. So he's including his disciples. He's in, we can be fair, and it's not a stretch that is including us. And we know this by looking at other passages of scriptures. That every single person, every single Christian, it ought to be a light and a salt. Ought to live out the very things that we find in the Beatitudes and more and then some. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the greatest sermons for kingdom kids. For the children of the king. And how should the children of the king behave themselves here on earth? Not my will but thine be done. How's that? Lord, in your prayer, he says, pray this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On where? On earth. As it is where? In heaven. Are you living out the will of God on earth? As he has decreed it to be in heaven? Planned it and purposed? I think one of the greatest satisfying things that a Christian can have in their Christian life is knowing that you're in the will of God. Knowing that you are doing what God has called you to do. I think one of the greatest frustrating things is when you're out of the will of God, doing your own thing. You ever been there? Things don't, there's no joy. There's frustration. There's a resistance. You almost know that God is on your back. <laughs> and you just... He perseveres and he just lets you have that little time so you can understand that there's no joy or peace outside of the will of God. And that's true. There isn't. Now, Second Corinthians chapter 5, we'll turn there just quickly. So when we look at the life of Christ, we see that he lived in such a way where he was trying to reconcile man back to God again. This is the whole ultimate purpose of what Jesus came to do. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so, his purpose ought to be our purpose. His work ought to be our work. His mission ought to be our mission. What is that? Leading people to God. Leading people back to the right way 
whatever calling, calling that we have been called to, whatever ministry, whatever work, whatever it is, whether you're a mother, a father, whatever job description you may have, you don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be an evangelist, you can be a good, honest worker, tent maker, whatever it is, but your main goal as a Christian is to honor God and glorify God here on earth by being a witness, by shining the light of the gospel. And it is the gospel that leads people to who? God. You don't necessarily need to be a preacher. You can be a witness that testifies. Now, I want you to pay attention to 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man, that's any man, right? Being Christ, he's a what? New creature. So if any man being Christ, he's a new creature. It doesn't say for any pastor, any evangelist, any... No, it says any man. If any man. This is a generic term for whether it's a male or female. Any person. Being Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become too new. Look at the verse next, uh, uh, next. Look at verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by who? Jesus Christ. Okay, so being reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. And now look at this. Let's not miss this. And have given us, plural, the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Now, whether Paul the Apostle is talking about us as in the apostles, it's true. But as I see the scriptures unfold in other passages of scripture, we know that God has called every single person, every single Christian, to point them to who? God through Jesus Christ. So, hey, this is Christ. You need the Lord to get to God. You need Christ to have a relationship with Him. And so what kind of ministry do you have? Well, what do we see in this man's life? This man that was born blind. What kind of ministry did he have? Well, he had a testifying ministry. And we're going to see that in a moment. Uh, a testifying ministry. Have a look at verse 6 and 7. Jesus gets to work in John chapter 9. He doesn't waste any time. He gets to work. Disciples ask him a question. They're on perhaps like a theological, you know, lesson and class. Teach us whose, whose sin is this? Is or, and Jesus just answers the question and moves on. And thank God for the times that we can sit and learn and grow. By the way, questions are good. You learn, you hear, but they're for the purpose of what? Growing. Bible studies, I love Bible studies. But we need to have Bible studies and we need to get busy in the Father's business. There's a reason why we study the Bible and the reason why we study the Bible is so we can serve God. You need both. We can't just forever be learning and not coming to the point of surrendering our life as a service and Jesus did both. He taught and he did the work of the Father. Part of the work of the Father was to teach his disciples, but not only theologically, but a life to be lived. They saw his life in practice. They didn't only see his, hear his preaching, but they saw his life lived. And many a times today you see people, all they want is preaching, they want knowledge, they want theological debates, they want to be simply uh, apologetic. But for what avail? For what purpose? That you can sit on the internet for time and time and time again and watch one debate from another debate and this debate and never ever go out there and do the work of the Father. That's sad. That's sad to say the least. We must have both. 
Amen? We must have both. Have a look at verse 6 and 7. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, I don't understand why Jesus uses this methodology of spit and, and, and in the dirt and making clay. Now, I know if he was doing that today, they'll probably put him in prison for violating the COVID-19 laws. Can you imagine? <laughs> spit right in your eye. Yeah, don't get too close. Don't get too close to people. But if Jesus at this time uses clay to anoint the eyes of this blind man, for what purpose? Because we know the centurion's testimony. What was it? Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You don't even have to come and visit me. You just say a word and he'll be healed. And he marveled at the fact that this centurion got it that the power of God doesn't rest in tangible things and material things. Yeah, thank God for medicine. Amen. Thank God for, uh, you know, uh, people that are simply appointed here to help in, 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 in different areas and ways. But if you know the testimony of the woman that was uh, simply afflicted by the blood issue, for 12 years she can testify that there's no one that can help me in these circumstances but Jesus. There comes a time that it's out of the control of a person that they can, they've, you know, exhausted every resource. They've gone to every doctor and then, hey, the great physician. By the way, we should start there and end there. Because God can lead us to good doctors and medicine and so forth. But at the end of the day, what Jesus was trying to do with this man was something, you know, that would be, Helping this person exercise faith. I don't know why he used spit and clay in an order of his own, but I do know this he submitted himself under. I don't know about you, but if you were blind, wouldn't you want to try anything and everything? <laughs> do whatever you want. Well, these days people get laser surgery for their eyes so they can get rid of their glasses and they've got this laser beam going in their eyes or trying to peel off a layer. And I've heard about these things and I don't know if I can trust myself in the hand of someone that does that. I've heard good reports and I hear it's worth a couple of thousand dollars for each eye and you'll never have to use these again. But I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I can even entrust myself in someone like this. But by this point, by this point, it would have been noised that Jesus went about healing and doing miracles and this person would have believed and placed himself under the hands of Jesus. And so, it's applied and he, go, he goes and washes. And now he can see. I believe it was an act of faith. To go and do what Jesus commands is an act of faith. Unlike Naaman, the leper, the Syrian, that bucked in the beginning because of pride. Do this. What do I have to do that for? And someone had to come and convince him. But look, look at your condition. Look, it's only right. This prophet is a man of God. Let's listen to him. And that only confirms that we must obey God and his word. No matter how it's given. Though we don't understand it, though if we obey it and we do what the word says, we'll be blessed.
I just believe it is an act of faith in the part of this person's life. But God, could God just say, Jesus can just say, be healed? Absolutely. But he chose this way, I personally believe, is so he can help this man you know, have a demonstration of faith to obey the word of Christ. Now, his testimony in verses 8 to 12, the neighbours, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, It is he. Others said, It is like him. But he said, I'm he. <laughs> Best testimony, eh? Yeah, I'm the one. Amen? Yeah, it's me. Are you sure it's him? Yeah, no, I'm telling you, it's me. I used to sit here. <laughs> it's me. Is this the same Damon from before? We used to party with Damon. Is this the same Damon talking about Jesus? I don't know about you, but that's a similar testimony that we could have. You know, some people that, you, you know, I've met and they said, listen, I love the, I love the old Charlie. The old Charlie was mate, a party animal. <laughs> yeah, but not anymore. I've come to meet Jesus and Jesus has touched me and has changed my life, so to speak. I don't know about you, 17 years ago, when I met the Lord Jesus Christ, I called on the Lord that day. The next day, man, I, my life wasn't what it ought to be. There was a lot of junk. There's a lot of things that God wanted to work out, listen, and work in. But for the most part, I knew that I got right with God. And I knew that this word was true. And I knew that I wanted to follow the Lord. And there was something different that had taken place in my heart for God. And people would come up to me and say, well, you know, don't you do this anymore? And, and uh, don't you go to that church anymore? And here's why. And I, I didn't know much. And I said, like this man said to the Pharisees, we don't have time to go in there. All I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I see. That's all I know. And they said, well, who did this to you? Well, his name is Jesus. Where is he? I don't know. He just changed my life. I can see. That's a testimony. Testifying of what God, Jesus Christ, has done in your life is a powerful thing. That's why I love testimonies. I love hearing testimonies. I love hearing of what God has done in a person's life and how has he's interrupted their life. When we, by the way, hand out tracts on the streets or any place, I told William the other day, we'll in uh, Charlestown Shopping Centre and we're just reaching people and I said, you know, William, what we're doing, we're interrupting people's lives. Whether they like it or not, we're interrupting them. Some of the people, they wish they never heard this, but there are some people that say, oh, where did this come from? Thank you. The majority of the people, just antichrist. And I said, the majority of the people in this world today are antichrist. But there are still some out there that want to hear about this Jesus and how he changes lives and how he can make you see spiritually. Not just necessarily physically. Listen, spiritually see. See things for the way they are. I can see my sin. Man, I had a bad mouth when I came to Christ. The next day I'd swore. I saw my sin like never before. Yeah, before I knew I was a wretched, you know, sinner and I, I prided myself in it. I had no shame. But when I got saved and I sinned, I was like, oh, I'm ashamed. Please, God, forgive me. Yeah, he opened up my eyes to really see myself for who I am. 
And if you're a Christian, whether you're born again in six months, one year, ten years, fifty years, it doesn't matter. You always see yourself in need of a saviour so he can continue to work in your life. But you see. You can see. It's amazing. What do you see? All I see is that Jesus had come and done a work in my life and it's real. I can't explain it to you. You know what I did? I just went and washed. And I can see. Jesus put something on my eyes. I went and washed and I come and I can see. Was it that simple? No, it was a miracle that had taken place that they cannot see. This was nothing. Not anyone can go and put their mud in their eyes. Don't try this at home if you're blind. Not anyone can do this and go and wash and think it's okay. It was a miracle. It was a miracle and it was based upon the words of Christ. It wasn't about the clay. It was about obeying the Lord. And so the disciples say to Jesus Christ, what are the works of God that we may work them? He says, this is the work of God, that you believe on his name. You say, is that what happened to this uh, person? Absolutely. If you want to drop it down and have a look at verse perhaps uh, 34. Have a look at verse 34. This is the time where the Pharisees just kicked him out, just cast him out of their company, didn't want anything to do with him. The Bible says, and they cast him out. And there's a reason for that. And we'll look at that sometime perhaps and, you know, in the future. But look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Doest thou believe on the Son of God? Now, let, let me just stop here and say, how did Jesus know that they cast him out? Someone would have probably told him, or he would have knew, because he was the omniscient God, amen? Either way, he knew. And he came and interceded for him. What a blessing. You know, when you go and declare your faith in Christ and you get ridiculed or even kicked out of home, Jesus Christ upholds you and intercedes for you. He knows what you're going through and comforts you. It's the best comforting thing that can ever happen spiritually. In your heart and soul, you know the presence of God is there because you're suffering for his namesake. And he's repaying you. Because that's what he said. If whoever suffers for my namesake, lose houses, lands, brothers, I'll give him a hundredfold in this life and the one to come. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean to be tangible. You may lose a hundred friends, but God will give you one friend that makes up a hundred. <laughs> Amen. Thank God for those friends, by the way. But Jesus intercedes, intercepts. He's cast out of the fellowship, of the temple, of the religious rulers. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? And what does he say? Have a look. In verse 36, and he answered and said, who is he, Lord? Now, this is ironic, isn't it? Who is he, Lord? So why do you call him Lord? There was still, he still didn't understand that he would, this is he, Jesus Christ, right in, in front of him. Perhaps there was a little doubt. Why did he call him Lord? Because he, at this point, wrestling with the Pharisees, would have understood this man is of God. He's probably even more than the prophet. And he's probably Christ. 
Undeniable what was taking place in his heart. He could not deny it. And he said, answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Look, at, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And notice this response in verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. When did he worship him? After he realised this is him. I believe this is where the salvation came in. Right here. When he believed on the Lord, he fell down and worshipped. By the way, that's what takes place when you get saved. And it's not worship just with a mouth. It's a worship with a life. Because this is what he tells the Pharisees later on, and we'll see it perhaps in the future, what true worshippers are. It's in the passage. True worshippers are, are those that do the will of God. And this is what Jesus was doing, the will of God. Couldn't deny it. Could not deny it. And over here, we see a man simply outcast from society, if you will. Moving from the angry faces of the Pharisees to seeing the beloved face of Jesus Christ, his Savior. What a sight to see. You know what? You're looking at him. I'm he. Now think about that. How many years he was born blind and one of the first faces that he sees is God. Wow. Wow. Never seen anything in his life but comes face to face with the God-man. Now, would you prefer that? <laughs> I would prefer that if I told you the 24 years of disgust and filth that I lived, the vain life that I lived, the disgusting lifestyle that I lived. Yeah, probably better, be better than if I was blind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he says, this is he. You're looking at him. Yep. You know what Peter preached there in Acts chapter 4? There's no other name given among men under heaven where we must be saved but the name of Jesus. You know what Paul the Apostle says to Timothy? Hey, listen, Timothy, there's only one mediator between God and man. Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the only mediator. You know what Jesus said? I am the way. You're looking at him. I'm he. You all heard the famous hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, right? You know, she was born, you know, as far as we know by her testimony, or at least those around her, that she was born with perfect eyesight. Something happened. She got an infection, I think. I don't know what it was, but they put the wrong medicine on her eyes and she, she turned blind. It was about six weeks after her birth. And we all know her for her famous hymns that she wrote when she was blind. You know how many she wrote? Many say over 8,000 hymns. About eight, over eight, 9,000 hymns. Some of them she penned down as Fanny Crosby and they say some of them she didn't. And we sing them. As a matter of fact, we sung one just before we came together. Didn't we? Well, a preacher once said to her this, I think it is, it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered you so many other gifts upon you. 
That's what a preacher once said to her. Well, at least by history. We only read history and see if this is a true testimony, but that's what we read and we say, okay, a preacher came to us. It's a shame that, you know, God has gifted you with this, but he didn't give you sight. You know what she said? According to history, she said this, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that I shall ever gladly see, uh, glad in my sight, will be that of my Savior. Now, how can someone say that? How can someone say that? Listen, because blind people see. That's how. And what she saw when she was blind probably take a lot of work for us to see in our lifetime. When she was eight years old, eight years old, her love for poetry began early. At eight years old, her first verse, and again, it's history records, testimony about her, that she echoed her lifelong refusal to feel sorry for herself because she was blind. And she penned down this, Oh, what happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. That was early in her life. She was going to take whatever God allowed and look at the blessings that flowed through her life. Now in closing, have a look at verse 39 and verse 41. The truth of the matter is, the truth is this, that Fanny Cosby, uh, Crosby saw more of God blinded than what the Pharisees saw right before them. Verse 39, and Jesus, look at this. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made what? Blind. Look at the Pharisees' response. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Why do you think you're blind? Listen, why do you think you're blind? Can't you see? Think about that. Are we blind? No, of course you're not blind. Of course you can see. But why did you say that? And look what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth, because it was something that spiritual that Jesus was trying to show them. If you say that you're a good person, so to speak, and you're righteous and good, and you can see, then you're blind. But if you come to the point where you're absolutely convicted and desperate in need and understand I'm in darkness, I cannot see, my sin has blinded me, then God will open up your eyes and you'll be able to see. See? That's salvation. See, you know, why so many people can't see the Savior? Because they're blind bats because religion and their own self-righteousness has blinded them. They cannot see because they think themselves to be something when they're nothing. 
And not until we come and say, Lord, I am nothing, I cannot see, I am blinded without you, please help me, I am dead in my sin, you have showed me, please. This is a desperate cry of someone that will just place themselves under the physician, Jesus Christ. You know, so many Christians roaming around, Blind. Blind. Professing Christians that are blind. Who are they? The Laodicean Christians. You're blind. You're naked. Why? Because you've increased with goods and need of nothing. You think you're arrived. And God says you've gone back to your blindness. <gasps> what do we do, Lord? I stay humble. You know, the disposition of our salvation when we came to the Lord ought to be carried through all the way to the day we die. Utterly dependent upon the one that opens up the eyes of the blind. The moment we're lifted up in pride and we take the reins and we say, I don't need God. Oh, I've been endued with knowledge. Look at my life. Look what God's done. Look how he's cleaned my life and praise God for this. But the moment we go back and we're not saying, Lord, I am dependent upon you. I want to worship you. I want to follow you. Listen, even Christians can act like Pharisees. But guess what? Blind men see. You can have someone that's blind that can see more of God than someone that can see physically. That is absolutely blinded. They cannot see. Their self-righteousness has marred them. And God forbid that any one of us will be marred by the Pharisee attitude. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.